Great to be with you today. My name's Jen, and this week we're on week four uh, of our series on the Apostles' Creed, which is called I Believe. And that's what this series is all about. It's about ancient truths, the truths of the Bible that are still relevant today. And so as we're doing this series every week, we're gonna actually declare together the creed. So we're gonna, that's gonna appear on the, the screen behind me. So let's say this together as we, as we begin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I believe. And the particular verses that I wanna share with you and unpack a little bit this morning of the creed is where it begins with suffered under Pontius Pilate. So the sentence begins with the words, I believe in Jesus Christ, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. You see, Pontius Pilate was the one who gave the order for Jesus to be crucified. He was the only person that had that power and that authority. You see, he was the Roman governor. It was the Jews, the chief priests, and the Pharisees that had brought Jesus to him that day. They wanted to get rid of him. But they didn't have the authority to execute him, to send him to be crucified, because only the Roman government had that power. And so the chief priests twisted and manipulated their accusations of Jesus in order to fit in with the criteria that the Roman government had for that day. But Pontius Pilate was not, this was not an uncommon situation to him. You know, he was used to passing judgment. He was used to being in that position of authority and oh, he saw straight through their plans. He could see this was about their own political agenda and that Jesus was innocent. But not only that, Pilate's wife had had a dream that, that night. She came to Pilate and she said, don't do anything, don't get involved with this innocent man because I've suffered in a dream today because of him. And so here was this man, Pontius Pilate, a man of authority, a man of great position, not unused to these kind of situations, and yet suddenly the fear just descends on him. And he's caught, he doesn't know which way to turn, he's caught between Jesus and then the, the chief priests and the elders who are now whipping up the crowd into a frenzy and shouting, crucify him, crucify him, and Pilate's afraid. Should he release Jesus, who he knows is innocent, or should he listen to the crowd? And you know, 
He was worried about his position. Would word get back to Caesar? Would he lose his position and standing? He was afraid. And you see, as you read the passage, that he just goes back and forth between Jesus and the chief priest. And Jesus and the chief priest, he just cannot make up his mind. And in the middle of all this, while the crowd are getting louder and louder, Jesus stands there and he says nothing. And Pilate is amazed at this. He cannot believe that Jesus is just standing there saying something. I mean, this was unusual. When, when criminals had been brought before him and at the prospect of their own death, they'd have been on their knees begging and pleading for Pilate to have mercy on them and set them free to defend them, and yet here was Jesus and he wasn't saying a word. And Pilate, in the middle of all of this, he suddenly, in his frustration, turns to Jesus and he says, aren't you gonna say anything? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or to free you? And Jesus looks straight at Pilate and he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. You see, Pilate made the mistake of thinking that he was in control, that he was the final authority, but he didn't realize that actually behind the scenes was a God who was in heaven who was seated on the throne. And actually Jesus stood before Pilate that day by the divine plan and purpose of God a plan that had been set in place even before the creation of the world. And it wasn't that Jesus wasn't afraid, oh, he was terrified, absolutely terrified. Just rewind back a few scenes and you find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was, was called the place of the olive press. It was the place where the olives were squeezed and squeezed until all the oil came out of them. And here was Jesus in the, in the time of his, where he was absolutely pressed and squeezed everything inside of him. And he said to the disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with grief, even to the point of death. I, f I feel so overwhelmed right now, I feel like dying. He asked the disciples to come with him to pray for him. And then he goes and cries out to his father in heaven, oh father, is there any way that you can take this cup of suffering away from me? Is there any way that you can save people without me having to go through such pain and suffering? But if there isn't, I'll do your will. Three times Jesus prays that prayer and he submits and he says, not my will, but your will. You see, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. You see, God loves us, but God is also a God of justice. And he could not allow sin to go unpunished. The penalty of sin is death. And so Jesus died to take away our sin. He took our place on the cross to take our sin so that God's wrath would be satisfied, the penalty would be paid, and that he could reconcile us to God, so that we could have the kind of relationship with God that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane, that kind of level of intimacy, that kind of connection. 
You see, Jesus did not stand before Pilate that day so that Pilate could save him. He stood before Pilate that day in order to save Pilate. Not only to save Pilate, but to save every angry face in that crowd. To save every Roman soldier that beat his flesh to a pulp. To save every person that shouted ridicule in his face, that spat at him, that rejected him. Oh, but you know, he didn't just stand there to save the obvious enemies of God, oh no. Steve last week talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus, a woman that was honored, favored by God. But she too needed a savior. And all of us here today, we're not exempt simply because we weren't present at that scene. Just because we're born in this time and in this season, we're not exempt from this because the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It was our sin that held him there. You see, Jesus died for us all because he loved us all. And so what is our response to that? How is this amazing truth of our faith that Jesus died to take away our sin, to take away the only thing that was separating us from our connection with the Father? What is our response to that? How is it impacting our daily lives? You see, Steve, in the first week, he said that, We're talking about I believe. I believe is different to I know. I know is something we we say in our heads, but I believe is an issue of the heart. You see, when we believe something in our heart, it changes how we walk. It changes how we talk. It changes how we approach life and how how we approach situations. I believe. We are here today because we are saying I believe. I believe in Jesus. And how is that impacting our life? And I would believe that one of the ways that, one of the evidences of that in our lives is that actually because we believe, we are those that can live free from fear. That we have no fear in life. And Paul in Romans 8, he tries to unpack this a little bit. And he says in Romans 8, he says, what shall we say in response to these things? In other words, what is our response? If we're saying we believe, what are we saying? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if we believe that God is for us, why do we fear opposition? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if we believe that God loves us, why do we worry about our needs? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So why do we live in guilt and shame? He goes on and he says, who is the one that condemns? No one, Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We have an advocate, Jesus is up in, he's at the throne in heaven praying for you. So why do we worry about, about living in guilt and shame? And you know, why are we not able to just receive the, the forgiveness of God and the love of God? Why do we worry about these things? 
And then his final question, which really is the crux of it all, he says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Can anything separate us from the love of God? You see, because this is at the root of the question. Do we believe that God loves us? Is there anything that can separate us? And he says, no. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, in other words, nothing in the human experience, neither angels nor demons, in other words, nothing in the supernatural unseen realm, neither the present nor the future, in other words, nothing in time, nor any powers, no opposition, neither height nor depth, nothing in space, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is good news this morning. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You see, the perfect love of God casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. In other words, really at the root of fear, the basis of fear, when you get underneath it all, is the question, what is going to happen to me? What will become of me? What's going to happen to me? You see, when you know that you are loved by the God of the universe, and nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. You don't worry anymore about what's gonna to happen to you because you know that you're safe, that your life is held by one who is greater, so far greater than you, so much more powerful. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I believe for those of us that believe, that declare that we believe, one of the hallmarks is that we are those who are able to overcome fear. Now, I didn't say that we will never experience fear. In fact, this passage tells us that we will. There will be many things that come against us in life and we will experience fear. It is, it is our response to fear that distinguishes us from those who believe and those who do not believe. As believers, we do not bow to fear. We overcome fear in the name of Jesus because there is no fear, there is no situation that is bigger or greater than the name of Jesus. Amen, so as those who believe, I believe that's your first blank if you're filling in the, in the notes, we are free from fear, no fear in life. But you know, Paul says something else in this passage that he says it's not only that we can be free from fear in life, but also free from fear in death, because actually, even in death, we're not disconnected from God's love. You know, but you know, I think death is kind of a different animal, really, isn't it? It feels really different, because 
in the fears that we experience, as we go through them, we, we strengthen in our faith and we realize, oh, God was with me in that situation. And so next time I face another situation, I'm stronger and I have a deeper revelation of the love of God. And so I take that into the next, into the next situation. But death somehow feels different because we only experience it the once. So it's not like we have opportunities to go through it and then oh, we can try again and you know, face it with a greater sense of faith and courage. And we only experience death once. And you know, we, death is a mystery and we can feel that fear. You know, oftentimes, I think even though we know that all of us will die, it is the one thing that we can be, you know, one of the things that we can be really sure of is actually we will all die. But we don't like to think about that. We somehow push it away. It's almost as though if we, if we don't talk about it, somehow we can keep it at bay and it's kind of a protective, a defense mechanism. Somehow feels easier to just push it away and not talk about it. But I believe that if we are those who believe in Jesus, that we don't deny our fears, we don't deny those things, we don't try and defend ourselves. No, we are those who can face our greatest fears because we are loved. We face them with Jesus. And so I believe that as we look at these verses in the creed, it can give us some understanding about, well, what happens to us when we die? You see, these, these verses in the creed, they say that Jesus wasn't just crucified, he didn't just suffer, he actually died. He was buried and he descended into the dead. And some of you may be aware that actually this particular verse, he descended to the dead, has caused some debate and discussion over the years. After about AD 650, there was a, a translations that actually replaced the word he descended to the dead, and they put he descended to hell. Now, it doesn't say that he descended to hell in the Bible, but then all kinds of explanations appeared as to why they'd added that in, trying to explain that. And I'm not going to spend time unpacking that today, I just want to let you know that that is something that's been debated and, and might be something that you want to explore for yourselves outside of this today. But what I want to focus on today is what we believe that, that what did happen to Jesus when he died? What does it mean that he descended to the dead? Because I believe that that can bring us some comfort and it can bring us a sense of hope. Wayne Grudem, who is a, a theologian, he suggests that there are three verses, three things that Jesus says on the cross that can help us understand what happened to Jesus when he died. You see, Jesus has gone before us. He died. And so we can take comfort that he's actually gone through that process already. And, and he uses these three verses, three things that Jesus says on the cross. The first thing that Jesus says is that he turns to the thief on the cross. You see, Jesus, when he was crucified, there were two criminals either side of him. One of them joined in with the abuse that was being thrown at Jesus that day, but the other tried to defend Jesus. And he said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus turns to him on the cross and he says, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, we believe that 
When Jesus died, his body was buried. We're told that his, you know, Joseph of Arimathea gave up his own tomb for Jesus to bury Jesus. Jesus' body was buried on the earth. But his spirit, his soul went immediately into the presence of God. Secondly, Jesus on the cross declared, it is finished. In other words, his work was complete, the saving work that he'd set out to do. He didn't need to to suffer anymore after he died. There wasn't any further work that he needed to do. He'd just wait for his father to raise him from the dead on Easter morning. And thirdly, Jesus on the cross, he says to his father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, we believe that Jesus fully expected that whilst his body would be buried on earth, his spirit would immediately go into the presence of his Father. And I think we can take great comfort in that, that actually as that was Jesus' experience, that will also be our experience. That when we die, our bodies will be buried on this earth, but our soul will go immediately into the presence of our Father in heaven, where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more grief, no more heartache, in the presence of our amazing Father who loves us. And you know, Jesus on that Easter morning, his soul was then reconnected with his earthly body. He was given a new resurrection body and God raised him to life again. And we are those who believe that that we, when Jesus returns, Our souls too will be reconnected with our earthly bodies, we'll be given a new resurrection body and we also will be raised and we will spend eternity with Jesus. And that's good news for us today, isn't it? That actually we know, we have confidence that when we we say yes to Jesus, we are born into love, we are reborn into love. We are born into the family of God And when we die, we also die into love. That God our Father is there to meet us on the other side and to welcome us into his presence for eternity. But I just wanna share something of my own experience in, in kind of processing this kind of fear of death and, and dying. You see, in, in 2009, I, I came on staff here at, at C3 as part of the pastoral care team. And, and in my first year there, I had an experience that really impacted me in a deep way. I was part of a connect group, and we took it in turns to host. And that night, I was hosting it, and everyone came to my house. And there was a new couple that we'd invited. I'd met the wife already. They were from overseas and really young couple, newly married, in their 20s. And we carried on, did our usual thing. You know, we looked at the preach from Sunday and then we had, dis- had a discussion and the husband didn't say very much. But towards the end of the evening, he just sat up in his chair and we'd been talking about how sometimes we don't understand God's ways. You know, when we go through tough times, we. It's hard to understand God's purpose in it all, but as we look back, we can see the hand of God so clearly. And he sat up in his chair and he said so clearly, he said, yeah, you know, we don't always understand what God is doing, but we know that God has a plan 
and that God is in control. And then he sat back in his chair and his head went back and his eyes fell back into his head and his breathing became really labored. We called 999, I was on the phone to the emergency services and the woman on the other side of the phone is saying to me, say the word again every time he takes a breath. Again, every time he takes a breath. I was so relieved when the emergency services finally got there, the ambulance crew arrived. Literally, they, they knelt down beside him and he stopped breathing. And they tried to resuscitate him they couldn't get him breathing again. They called for backup. Another team arrived. There were four guys around him trying to resuscitate him. The, con- the rest of the Connect team are now in my kitchen praying. And I'm stood there with his wife. She's now on the phone calling her parents. And with the phone call that no parent with children overseas ever wants to hear. That their child is no longer breathing. And what are they going to do? Eventually, they, they took him to hospital, and we all followed in the, in the car, got to the hospital. And they just, couldn't, they just could not resuscitate him. And he, he died that night. I just couldn't get my head around it. I mean, they'd come to Connect Group, they'd come to my house, and now he was dead. A guy in his 20s. I tell you what, in that hospital waiting room, I've never felt so overwhelmed in my entire life. So I did what I, the only thing I knew to do in that moment, I called Chris Webster, <laughs> who is the head of pastoral care, and honestly, he walked into that room. I've never seen such an expression of love in someone's eyes. I really felt like it was God the Father speaking to me that night. And he came in as we were waiting and he looked straight at me and he just put his arm on my shoulder and he said, Jen, I know that you're really sensitive and I want you to know this is not your fault. You see, what he didn't know is that I did think it was my fault. You see, I'd done some first aid training a few weeks before that and we talked about resuscitation and what you should do and then, you know, and I was, I was standing there thinking, have I done something wrong? Was it because of the way that I'd done things before the crew got there? Could I somehow have stopped this? And I just felt that overwhelming sense of responsibility. I didn't realize how much it had impacted me, but a few days later, we were doing the Shine Run. It was a sponsored run raising money for, for the Shine course, self-esteem course for women that we run here in this church. It was just about 20 of us, no big deal, just a 5K run in Cherry Hinton Park. And there was about 20 of us there, but you know what, I was so traumatized by that event that I just kept thinking, what if someone collapses in the middle of that run? And I just felt, this, again, this overwhelming sense of responsibility, so I packed up my stuff, I got my first aid kit, I was there with my high-vis jacket. I didn't do the run, I ran with my bike so that if anyone did collapse, I could get to them quickly. I mean, what I thought I would do when I got there, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. But as I processed that afterwards, I realized, Jen, you've forgotten that, hey, you're not in control here. 
You're not the final authority. God is on the throne. And I had to allow God to just deal with some of that stuff again in my heart. You see, I felt like I'd made real progress in the area of anxiety. That I'd really moved forward and I was dealing with my fears, something that had really hindered me for a lot of my life and yet I'd found such freedom in that area and it felt, oh no, here I am again. But you know, when God, the, the challenges of life expose us, don't they? Our real self, those, those beliefs bubble to the surface, what we really believe. We can declare it, but it's in the moments of most intense pressure, that's what comes to the surface, what we really believe. But you know the beautiful thing about, about God's way of dealing with us in those times is that he doesn't expose us to shame us. You see, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is only ever an invitation, an invitation to come. You see, that is the message of the, of the gospel. Come to Jesus. And I just had to go back to God and say, God, I'm, I'm wrestling with this and allow God to do that deeper work in my heart of reestablishing me in his love and reminding me that he was there. You know, the amazing thing is that that week, um, myself and, and Melody, one of the Connect group, we, we went and spent some time with the families that had flown over for the funeral, and yes, they were devastated. Absolutely devastated. But you know the overriding theme of, of what they shared with us when we went to see them? was that they were just so grateful for the grace of God in it all. You see, the wife didn't even know the number to call for the emergency services in this country. She didn't know that you call 999. And her mom said, I'm just so grateful you were there and that it didn't happen when she was on her own with him. She wouldn't have known what to do. She wouldn't have known who to call. And then the wife explained how she was in the hospital treatment room and she had to give permission for them to stop trying to resuscitate him. And she said, in that moment, I just thought, no, I can't let go. I can't let go of him. But she said, you know what, it was like this cloud came on me, like the presence of God. It was like the presence of God just descended on me in that place, the peace of God. And she said, I just felt, I can, I can let him go now. It's time, it's his time and it's time for him to go. You see, that's the kind of savior that we have. That in our time, in our Gethsemanes, in our time of pressing out, the peace of God descends on us. We are not victims of fear. We're not victims of circumstance. No, 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 no. Our God is on the throne and he reigns and he rules. And there is nothing that we will face, nothing in this life and not even death that can separate us from his love. But you know, over the years, as after that, event and then seeing others in that I knew, friends and family that have passed away, it's, it's made me think about my own death. And that's been quite confronting and I think perhaps that's my life stage, you know, I'm in midlife now, I'm well into my 40s. And I've been 
that I've found that that fear has been sort of bubbling up inside of me. And you know, particularly in this last year, I've really struggled with the fear of death, my own death. And I've wrestled with that and I've prayed and I've asked my husband John to pray for me and I've asked you know, a close friend to pray with me at times when I felt overwhelmed. But it just felt like it hasn't, I haven't been able to sort of shift it and overcome it. And then in February this year, I went to the Touching Heaven Night. You know, they advertised that on the, on the news today. There's another one in June. And at the Touching Heaven Night, we, there was a time of prayer and people came forward before that prayer and they gave what we call words of knowledge, which is basically people share, I believe that that there's someone here that maybe has a, con, you know, a health condition or perhaps they're struggling in this area that God has revealed to them in order that he can set them free, that he can heal them. And that night there was a guy that came forward and he said, I believe there's someone here, you've got a fear of dying. And I just knew that was me. Maybe there were others in the room as well, but I knew that's me. But I was on the prayer team that night so I couldn't go forward for prayer at that point. I prayed for people, and then at the end of the night, I asked Reese McCallan, who's part of the pastoral team here, to pray for me, just shared with her. This is what I'm wrestling with. She prayed for me. She shared the words of a song, and honestly, the peace of God just came on me that night. And I just knew something has shifted. There's something that has shifted. In the morning, I I woke up and I knew it was different, but still that thought came into my mind. And I looked at my emails first thing and she'd sent the link to a song. As she prayed for me, she'd shared the words of a song and she'd sent that song to me. And so I just sat in the presence of God and I just listened to that song again and just allowed those words to just really penetrate my heart. All your anxiety, all of your care, bring to the mercy seat, leave them there. Never a burden he cannot bear. No other friend like Jesus. Can I invite the band to come? All your anxiety, all your cares, Bring to the mercy seat. Bring them to Jesus. All your anxiety, all your cares, bring them to Jesus and leave them there. Never a burden he cannot bear. No other friend like Jesus. You know, I... I don't believe I've got it all sorted. It's a, a work of transformation that, that God is doing in my heart, you know, and that is the life of a disciple that God is transforming us day by day on the inside out. You know, the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I love the Passion Translation. It says, my true life is in the anointed one. And dying means gaining more of him. You know what, I'm not there yet, (laughs) but one day I hope that I can say with Paul and really, really mean it for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
And I believe one of the hallmarks, one of the key hallmarks of a believer is not only that we have no fear in life, we're able to overcome fear in life, but we have no fear of death. What a message to the world outside that we have no fear in death. You see, I think one of the greatest tragedies would be that after Jesus has suffered so much to give us this life, that we would waste our lives worrying about stuff when he's, he's taking care of it all. But instead, as those who believe, we have no fear in life, no fear in death. So our focus, our gaze can be on Jesus and on loving others. And that's why God has called us and chosen us to share that message with others, that they too might be reconciled to God, that they too might come into the family of God and be sons and daughters of God. Shall we stand in the presence of God? We're going to sing this song now, which declares this truth of our faith that God has never failed us and he never will. And if you're here today and you know what, you're, you've been wrestling with some fears, you've been wrestling with some stuff, I want to as an act of faith, I want you to, to bring it. All your anxiety, all of your care, bring to the mercy seat and leave it there. We're giving them to Jesus today and we're not taking them back. He's going to receive them and is going to fill you afresh with his love and with his power.